I would invite you, if you've got a Bible there, to turn with me to that portion of Scripture that we looked at earlier on, which was Leviticus chapter 16. Leviticus chapter 16. Okay, now the 1997 Oscar for Best Screenplay it went to a film I'm sure you've heard of, uh, Good Will Hunting. It stars uh, Matt Damon and what's the other guy's name? Uh, Matt Damon and Ben Affleck. That's who it was. Now, the story of Good Will Hunting, it kind of revolved around a maths problem that was um, set by this prize-winning lecturer in a, a Boston university. And what happens is that the, this, this lecturer sets his students, all of his students, this incredibly difficult, incredibly difficult maths problem. You know the sort of thing, I'm sure, you know? The sort of maths problem that's got lots of X's and Y's in it, and it's got uh, lots of plus and minus signs, and it goes on for line after line after line. An incredibly uh, complicated problem, and all the students have to solve it. Except, of course, in the film, none of the students can solve the problem. They try and try very hard, but it is something that's completely and utterly beyond them. Well, this morning, that is the sort of thing that I want you and I to be thinking about. Okay, because this morning, we are going to consider... The greatest problem that has ever faced humanity. We're going to consider the problem of the abyss. The problem of the chasm. The problem of the gulf that exists between God and mankind because of man's sin. So a great problem. Now, if you're joining us as a visitor this morning, I should probably point out that we are currently in the midst of a sermon series. And it is a sermon series where we are looking at the offices and the natures of Jesus Christ. And last week, um, we looked at what it meant that uh, Jesus is prophet. That Jesus is the culmination of everything that the Old Testament prophets said in regard to Salvation. Jesus is prophet. That was last week. Well, this week, we move forward in our sermon series, and we come to a second office of Jesus Christ. And today we're going to consider what it means that Jesus is priest. What does it mean that Jesus Christ is priest? That's where we are. To be honest, I think what we're going to do is we're going to kind of largely follow the the pattern or the the way that we uh, the way that we went forward last week. We'll we'll follow very roughly the approach that we took last time around, and that means that this morning we are going to consider three very basic questions. Three questions about Jesus as priest. 
So if you're with me so far, let's make a start. Let's consider what it means that Jesus is priest. Let's consider. Let's try and answer this first of these three basic questions. This is our first question. Question one. What role did the Old Testament priests perform? Okay. What role did the Old Testament priests perform? And the first thing that I'm going to say about this is that I am not a priest. Okay? Let's get this clear. I am not a priest. And I tell you this, I wish that my hairdresser it was here this morning so that she would understand this. Because woman, every time that I go into... The hairdresser, I hear the same thing. She always refers to me as a priest. She will always say to one of her colleagues, Oh, here's Andy. Do you know Andy's a priest? I am not. I am not a priest. And I wish he was here today. So, now that I've got that off my chest, uh, who are these Old Testament priests? And what did they do? Think about it like this. These Old Testament priests were complementary, but also opposite to what we looked at last week with the prophets. Say it again. They were complementary, but also opposite to the role of the prophet. What do I mean? Okay, complementary. Well, they were complementary... Because both the priest and the prophet, they worked as intermediaries between God and man. Both the priest and the prophet, they worked into that sort of problem that we talked about. Okay, so they were complementary. But they were also opposite. Because you see, think about this. The, the prophet went from God to man, didn't he? We saw that last week. A prophet's job was to take God's word and to deliver it, to bring it to mankind. But think about the priest. The priest goes the other way, doesn't he? The priest stands as a representative of humanity before God. So they work the other way round. So a prophet from God to man and a priest well he stands as a representative of humanity before God okay now let's be clear about this next thing this is important the job of an Old Testament priest his role you can kind of almost neatly divide it into two things there were two sides to the role of a priest in the Old Testament okay Two sides. One, they made intercession. And the other one was that they made what was called atonement. Now, some ways we can almost forget about the idea of making intercession. Because, to be honest, we're going to come back to that next week. It's that second area that you and I need to think about this morning. We need to think about what it means... That a priest made atonement. Now, when I was younger, much younger, maybe about 17 or 18 years old, 
I bought myself a new car. Well, I say it was new. It cost me, I think, 50 quid. Or 60, 60 quid, I think it was. It was new to me. It wasn't a new car, but it was new to me. And it was a bright orange uh, Escort Mark III estate. And I know, yes, I know it sounds disgusting. But I tell you, it was my pride and joy, this Escort. But after a couple of months, couple of months of having it, I took that car to the garage for its MOT and I left it there. And when I came back a few hours later on, the mechanic wasn't inside the garage. The mechanic was waiting outside and he was waiting for me. And he was waiting there with shock etched upon his face. And he told me that there were supposed to be four large screws holding the steering wheel in place. But three of those screws weren't there. And the fourth screw had loosened itself and was in danger of coming away. (laughs) And that screw is very much like this idea of making atonement. Because you see, just as that sort of fourth remaining screw was absolutely fundamental and essential to everything about that car, so this idea that we're talking about this morning, this idea of making atonement, it is abso- it was absolutely essential and absolutely fundamental to everything about life in the Old Testament community of faith. Because you see, this idea of, of making atonement, this was where the, the priests were involved in this elaborate system of animal sacrifices in order to make or to deal with the sin of the people of God. So, use your imagination here, okay? Picture what it was like. The priests in the Old Testament would stand in the temple grounds and they would stand as the representative of the people Then they would take their hands and they would lay hands on an animal as a symbolic transfer of the sin of the people to this animal. What happens next? Well, the priest would kill the animal. And then the priest would take the blood of that animal and they would take it inside the the, the inner part of the temple and they would pour the blood out to temporarily appease God's wrath at sin. What I think we've got to be pretty clear on is the fact that this would go on a lot. You know, there was was an awful lot of blood that was spilt in the Old Testament. That takes us to the, the really important thing that we all need to grasp this morning. So please get this. You see that whole intricate system? You know, that that whole Old Testamental complex framework of animal sacrifices. You know what? That whole system, it was all figurative. That whole thing that we read about in Leviticus, it was it was all of it was a was an, an illustration. 
Because God established this system, not because these animal sacrifices actually atoned for the sin of the people. They didn't do that. God set up this system to teach his people. He set up this system in the Old Testament to show these people that given the right circumstances, that given the right priest, that given the right sacrifice, that this whole process of sacrifice, that it could work, that it could bridge that gap and solve that problem that existed between God and man. So please, get this right. That whole system of making atonement, it anticipated something greater. This system anticipated something that God Almighty had planned for later on. And with that, we return to goodwill hunting. Okay, can you remember where we left it? I keep saying that in my sermons there should be a sort of spoil, spoiler alert, just in case you haven't seen uh, these films. But where do we leave it? Well, we left it with the this lecturer, and he was putting up a sort of complex mathematical problem on the blackboard of a university corridor. So he's written it up there. And despite how they might try, the students have, haven't been able to solve this problem. But then what happens is that this young guy, this uh, university janitor, a janitor, as we would call him in Scotland, he comes along and he's, he's mopping uh, the corridor. And he's, he's cleaning and he sees this, this problem, this mathematical problem on the, on the blackboard. So the Johnny, he sets to work. And before long, it is him who has solved the problem. And so just now what I want us to do is to leave this Old Testament priesthood behind just for a moment. I want us to consider how this problem, the problem, the cataclysmic problem of sin was solved. I want us to consider our second question, and that is, how can we speak about Jesus Christ as priest? How can, how can we think about Jesus Christ as a priest? Okay, the first thing I'm going to say here is really pretty obvious. Because you and I can talk about Jesus as priest because, guess what? The Bible tells us that Jesus Christ is a priest. We're going to sing Psalm 110 later on in the service, and that tells us, it speaks about the, the coming of the Messiah, and that when he comes, that he will come as a priest. Then in the New Testament, we hear Jesus being spoken of as a priest. We, we hear him as being in the order of Melchizedek, the priest. Now get this. Jesus even became man for this. Jesus became man so that he could stand before God as a representative of humanity 
and take on himself the responsibility of our sin. So I hope you see it. It's very clear. It's abundantly clear in the Bible that Jesus Christ is priest. Christ is priest. But there is something more than that. And there is something wonderful. Now, I think I have mentioned um, the show before, but I'm sure everyone's familiar with, with the TV program Undercover Boss. You've all seen Undercover Boss, haven't you? I think we all know what, what the deal is. The, uh, it's a sort of documentary thing where the, the TV cameras follow, who would it be? It'd be the sort of CEO, wouldn't it? It would be a sort of high-flying executive. And the TV cameras would follow him or her as, as they exchange their, their suit for civvies. You know, they actually become an ordinary worker. They sort of go incognito for a week or two. And there's almost, if you've seen it, there's almost invariably a conversation at the end of the programme, isn't there? An undercover boss. There's almost always this conversation between the undercover boss and one of their employees. And in that conversation, there is usually that moment when the, the penny drops and the poor employee realises, oh, that person that I've been speaking about over the last week or so, it's him. It's him. This is the boss. Well, friends, something like that happens in Scripture. Something like that happens in the Bible. Because you see, all the way through the Bible, what we have is a motif what we have is this theme of the need for sacrifice. And then we get into the New Testament and we see what we've just established. We get into the New Testament and we see, yes, Jesus Christ, is, he's, he's the priest. But we also see something else. Because as we get into, the, say, the Gospels especially, and we hear Jesus Christ speak, and we hear him speak about what he expects to happen to himself, it's there that we have that moment of clarity. Because when we hear Jesus Christ speak about the fact that he is going to die, we realize there, it's him. It's, it's him. He's not just priest. He is also the sacrifice too. You see, for that Old Testament system to, to, to work as a symbol, it had to have three functions, okay? It had to have a priest. It had to have an altar. And it had to have a sacrifice. And do you know what the New Testament tells us? It tells us that at Calvary, on that cross... Jesus Christ fulfilled all of those three things. As he died, he was the priest. He was the altar. And he was also the sacrifice for sin. 
And please see this morning that he was not just another priest. That Jesus Christ was a perfect priest. A perfect priest. He wasn't like these Old Testament guys. Jesus Christ wasn't like them. He didn't have to, before making a sacrifice uh, for sin, he didn't have to make his own special separate sacrifice to deal with his own wickedness. Jesus Christ didn't have to do that. Why not? Because he was pure. And he was holy. Here was one who stood before God as a sinless and a perfect priest. And more than that, he wasn't just another one of these countless blood offerings, was he? No, Jesus Christ was perfect priest, but he was also the perfect sacrifice. You see, think about it. Think about what these Old Testament priests had to do in order to make a sacrifice. What did they have to do? They had to search everywhere for an animal, didn't they? They had to look for an animal. They had to find a spotless animal, a blemish-free animal to sacrifice. But come on. No matter how spotless that animal was, no matter how blemish-free the animal was, what was it? It was always going to be an animal. It could never atone for the sin of a man. An animal sacrifice could never make atonement for the sin of man made in the image of of God. But then what happens? What do we see at the cross of Christ? What happens at Calvary? Well, we see in Jesus Christ's death, at last we see a suitable sacrifice, don't we? At last we see a perfect sacrifice at the cross in Jesus Christ. At last we see a blemish-free man as an offering for sin. And it's that moment, friends, at the cross that the whole elaborate priestly system was pointing forward to, wasn't it? It was there that this figurative, illustrative system in Leviticus, it was there that this became a reality. It was there as this great high priest stood before God and laid down his life for his people and dealt with sin. It was there that it all came to a conclusion. And that is why we can speak of Jesus Christ as priest. It's because in him, that great problem between God and man, in him, it was solved. So we've seen something of this Old Testament system as an illustration and as a picture. And then we've seen how Jesus Christ His death perfectly fulfilled everything about that system. He dealt with sin. Let's conclude this morning 
with a third and last question. Question three. What does Jesus as priest mean for you and me? I should be clear about something. I don't mean that in the sort of subjective way that you might use if you're cutting about the Tate Modern and you're sort of looking at one of these installations and you ask your friend, what what does this mean for you? I don't mean that. I mean much, much more seriously. I mean because your sin and my sin nailed him to the cross. I mean, what does Jesus as priest mean for how we live? Firstly, because Jesus is priest, you must come to him with your sin. Because Jesus is priest, you must come to him with your sin. You see, just as in the Old Testament, the people of God used to gather to the high priest before he went into the temple to, to, to make these sacrifices, you... Because Jesus is priest and sacrifice, you and I must come before him. We must come to him with our wickedness and with our sin. Because you see, at the cross, Jesus has done the most incredible and amazing things for his people. Folks, he has done the most amazing things for us. He... In that act, appeased God's wrath. There, if you are a child of God, there he quashed God's anger at your sin. And do you know how he did that? He did it by taking your, the anger at your sin and taking that sin upon himself. He has appeased the wrath of God. But not just that. He's done something else. At the cross, Jesus paved the way back to his Father. You see, the cross was not just about this idea of pacifying fury. At the cross, God's anger was replaced by his adoption. Think about that. At the cross, God's wrath was replaced by his reconciliation. It wasn't just about satisfying the anger of God. No, the cross was also about enabling people to come into the family of God. And so, I say to you, if if you're here this morning... And I don't know how you, I don't know how you, you've come to church. But if you've come here troubled in spirit this morning, you know, if you've come here and you are aware very much that you have wronged God, then please see this great implication of the cross. Jesus Christ was priest and he was altar and sacrifice and that means See the weight and the burden that you're experiencing this morning. 
It can be God if you trust and believe in Jesus Christ. And it can be gone forever. Why? Because this atonement for sin, it has already happened. You must come to Christ with your sin. And then we end this morning with this. A second implication. Jesus is priest and sacrifice. And that means that his people will worship him as such. You see, the Christians here, we know about Jesus Christ. We know Christ. We know that he is the son of God. Don't we? We know that he is the son of man. We know that Jesus Christ is risen. And he is resurrected. We know that he is exalted and glorified. We know that he is the king of kings. He is the Lord of lords. But I ask you this. When we get to glory, how will we worship Jesus? How will we worship Jesus? Well, in Revelation chapter 5, we are told that when we gather together in heaven... And our voices join that innumerable choir that we will worship Jesus Christ as the Lamb that was slain. The Lamb that was slain. Do you see? It is this stuff. It is this great priestly work of atonement. It is this here that is the ultimate motivation for praise so I would say to you if you are a Christian this morning in a moment or two we are going to go up here in a moment or two we are going to go to the place where we are commanded to remember the death of the Lord Jesus Christ and so I would say to you This morning, don't come up here unenthusiastically. Okay. Please don't come up to this table apathetically. No, this morning you stand and you come because Jesus Christ is priest, altar and sacrifice. You stand and you come because all of scripture pointed to that marvelous event. You stand and you come because he died voluntarily. You stand and you come because he bled and he died for you. And you stand this morning. You come and you worship. And you worship him as the lamb. The eternal lamb of God. That lamb. The lamb. That was slain. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we bow before you and we worship you for Jesus Christ. We praise you that he died for our sin. We thank you that he was priest, altar, and sacrifice. And we thank you 
that he is risen again. Amen. Now, as I said in a a moment or two when we, we sing the next item of praise, the